Hey, it's Marvin. Uh, thanks for listening to Books and Boba. On this episode, we're discussing our June 2021 book club pick, Happy Endings by Tin Kim Lam. Um, it is a romance novel, so this is a content warning that this episode includes extended conversations on sex and sexual themes. So if you're not comfortable listening to that, um, maybe give this episode a skip and join us again next time on our next episode of Books and Boba. But if you're cool with listening to a bunch of adults talk about that stuff, uh, please enjoy the episode. Thanks again for listening. You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Books and Bobo, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And ooh, I'm all out of sorts because right before this, I tried to do an intro with a sexy voice and it did not work. <laughs> it was funny though. <laughs> I hope it makes here. it into the last, uh, last cut. <laughs> we are here today to talk about our... June 2021 book club pick Happy Endings by Tin Kim Lam, um, which is our, I guess this is our second romance novel for this book club. And because um, last time I was woefully um, inadequate for the discussion, we brought in two romance novel experts um, to the podcast. They are also my co-hosts for the Good Pop Culture Club, which is a pop culture podcast that I also host. Um, welcome to the show, Han Win and Jess Ju. What up? It's the crossover no one wanted or asked for, but we're here. <laughs> Wait, I thought we were going to use our sexy voices. That is my sexy voice, Han. I roll up in the bedroom like, hey, let's take off our clothes. Pew, 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 pew. It works, though. I mean, you can't argue with the results. I mean, I feel like every episode of Good Pop veers into romance novel territory anyway. So it just seemed like a, a good, like, Rira was just like, hey, if I, um, if I pick another romance novel, do you think you can get Han and Jess on? I'm like, yeah, probably. Oh, my God. We're so honored. We're so honored <laughs> that you thought of, like, who are the horniest fucking nerds <laughs> you can think of? Han and Jess just reading, reading sex books. Um, is it a lived experience? But but we read a lot of them. I'm I'm really happy that you guys are um on the show because, you know, I don't read a lot of sex novels, so it's good to have people who have more frame of reference than than I do. So, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. All right. Let's. We're gonna try something new with our guests just to you know just to get to know you better. Um. So Jess and Han, if you wanna. Just let us know what is your favorite genre slash trope in literature and also your current favorite boba order. So, hi, I'm Jess Jube. If you haven't um, already figured from the very obnoxious yelling just at the top of this episode, I am a professional Asian. Uh, my side hustle is romance novels of um, various sorts. My favorite like literary trope, I think, has to be like, um, like secret parentage like um it's it's big in fantasy right you're like you know they're you know they're special and then it's kind of revealed that there's some like secret lineage that um ties them to like a greater world a greater cause a different a different world um you know we get that like harry potter even though you know 
she's a fucking turf, but it, I can't deny how influential that was to me. Um, yeah, so I love that. Um, and my current boba order is the oolong cheese foam tea from Sunrise Studio. It's delightful. I actually just had one yesterday. And yeah, don't look at how much I spend on boba orders every week. <laughs> so are you also a fan of the Ray secret parentage from Star Wars? No, Marvin, Marvin, shut the fuck up. Like, why, why are you bringing that shit? No, no, good secret parentage. Good secret parentage, okay? Like, um, you know, in Game of Thrones, we have not gotten to that point in the books, but I do think the show pulled that off beautifully before it just committed L like suicide R off equals of J. Oh my god! I mean, it was very <laughs> obvious, but it was still very like delightfully executed until you know they drove that last season off a cliff. Um, I also I have a lot of favorite tropes, you know, enemies to lovers, uh, forced forced to be in some kind of situation. Like, okay, and I'm gonna so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm such so exposing myself, but I think we need to be like very vulnerably honest to have a great discussion on this topic. So you know, I read a lot of fan fiction. And I feel oh, like yeah. a lot of my yeah. tropes are like fan fiction, like, um, you know, you're forced to share a bed in like a, some cabin for some reason that would never happen in real life. And they're like, oh, we have to share this bed. And now, oh, no, we're starting to like each other. And OK, like chemistry and like now we're in love kind of a thing. <laughs> I'm so exposing myself. But yes, <laughs> we appreciate the honesty. <laughs> and Han. Uh, I am Han Nguyen. I am the senior culture editor at Salon, uh, which means I have read many books in my life, I guess. Uh, and I don't I'm glad you didn't ask, like, when was the earliest you read a sexy book? Because that was way early. Uh, <laughs> my dad had a lot of books. <laughs> um, so let's see. Favorite literary trope well i don't know how literary it is but it is also from fantasy and i think uh marvin you know a little bit about this i specifically like um when a protagonist has to grow up in some sort of military academy and um not just that but and like i like to see them learning all sorts of like military skills um but i also like when they are like bullied at first and then they 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 become sort of some sort of martyr and then they have to overcome all of that stuff so uh yeah i love that shit i hate the actual you know actual military stuff but those books I love. I want to say that's really specific, but that's like half a fantasy right there. Yeah, that is half it, of YA yeah. fantasy. That's yes. why it's a trope. I like that. And then when it comes to favorite rom-com trope, while I do enjoy an enemies to lovers and a uh, marriage of convenience, I also very much like, if they do it right, the um, fake relationship. Um, because some people are really good at it and it's fun to make things up. I've even thought about this myself. Like, I would be awesome at doing a fake relationship because I like no details about people and I would be able to play it up. Right. Um, but then some people are awful and uh, that of course brings some humor. Um, and then there's always the sort of like surprise, I need to kiss you or hold your hand right now <laughs> sort of situation. Oh, uh, oh, are we talking like specifically rom-com troops? Cause I got a list of those too. <laughs> you know, well, the jilted, jilted before, but had a glow up and now I'm out for revenge. Seduction. Oh, yeah. That one's great. As far as my boba order, it's very similar to Jess's because she actually introduced me to that place. <laughs> um, so for me, I just realized that it has to be a very dark tea. Um, darker the better but with the cheese foam because that makes it nice and salty kind of like a um, salted caramel yeah 
And that's it. Well, welcome to Books and Bubble. We're so glad to have you two here, especially because, as we mentioned before, you two are my go-to resident romance rom-com experts. And so I'm excited for our conversation. Um, so, yeah, let's get to it. Um, this is your standard spoiler warning. We're going to be spoiling plot points and themes um, of happy endings, although it's a romance novel, so you know what you're getting going You will in. get a happy ending at the end <laughs> of happy endings. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, but if you're interested in hearing our thoughts about, I guess, the relative horniness of the book before jumping in yourself, uh, I guess you can listen to us talk before reading it. But um, now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, Rira, why don't you start us off with the book jacket description? Trixie Wen is determined to make her sex toy business a success, proving to her traditional Vietnamese parents that she can succeed in a non-traditional career. She's made a fresh start in Washington, D.C., and her first pop-up event is going well, until she runs into the ex who dumped her with a post-it note. The last person Andre Walker expected to see in a soul food restaurant was the woman he left behind in New Orleans. Their chemistry is still scorching, but he's desperately trying to save his family restaurant from gentrifying developers. The solution? Partnering with his ex to turn Mama Hazel's into a vibrator pop-up shop for hungry and horny clients. Thanks to their steamy truce, both businesses start to sizzle and their red-hot desire soon reignites deeper feelings. But when Trixie receives an incredible career opportunity, will pride ruin their second chance at happiness? Yeah, so this is a trope that we did not mention in the beginning, which is second chance romance. I guess that's a thing. Yeah. Me as the um, romance trope plebe, I guess this is my first time reading something like this. Weirdly, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> it. It's, it's, it has yeah. to be done well. Yes, yes. yes, exactly. Yes. Most of the time, I'm just like, forget them. They're, they're in the past for a reason. Um, and that's how <laughs> I feel about life. But mm-hmm. yes, you're right. If they do it right, then you can still feel the chemistry and you're gunning for them. But um, I, I find it's very hard to pull off. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, think about it. Um, they broke up for a reason. Usually one of the parties has wronged the other. So you have to get over that fact in the first place. And then you then it's also like, but then if they were good together, they should have worked. So like, why did they break? You know, it's like that question of why they broke up in the first place is really hard to get over, which I admit really that did affect me for this book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Before we get to the, I guess, the crux of the the relationship, I want to talk about just the fact that, so this is the second Asian, I guess not Asian focus, because Chris Quotient, the main character, was a white woman. But um, I guess this is there our were first. More, there was more than one main character in it, Marvin. <laughs> but yes, like the heroine in the Kiss Quotient was not Asian American, but the love interest was Asian American. So it still counts as a main yeah. character. Okay. And we do get his point of view. I mean, romance books need to be two-handers. Yeah, You definitely. need to get the perspective of each partner in the couple. So definitely, I mean, still counts. What is everyone's experience reading, like, romance books? I guess specifically for Han as, like, a Vietnamese-American, romances starring, like, Asians are still few and far between, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like most of the Asian ones I'm reading are contemporary. Um, So because like, yeah, I haven't actually read. I mean, I guess the closest I read, but it would be YA would be like a YA um, 
version of Mulan and Sherry Thomas had written it. And so there was a romance in there, but it wasn't like a sexy book because it was YA. Um, so that's the closest I think I've gotten to reading an Asian period uh, romance. And that's that really tells you something because like a lot of the, I guess, white <laughs> romances we read um, are, are a lot of more historical uh, specifically Regency or Victorian period. Um, so we're like very familiar with those sort of tropes and that sort of language and those sort of like social mores at that time. But I would love to read more period Asian stuff because, you know, I mean, I I don't really know anything about that except for like Kung Fu films or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I th- I'm trying to remember the first Asian-led romance novel I read it might have been Kiss Quotient actually I know um, it was a lot for for most people yeah Kiss Quotient was the first Asian led romance novel I had read but I had grown up watching a lot of K-dramas and C-dramas so that really filled you know that hole in terms of my media consumption and I don't know if anyone else does this I've been doing this since I was young it doesn't matter what I read who what the characters are supposed to look like i just totally ignore it and i put whoever my like flavor of the month celebrity asian pop crush in its place (laughs) so you know i used to throw in like jay chow into these like regency dramas as like my my romantic lead regardless of what this you know he's like this six foot three like blonde blue-eyed like sea captain i'm like no is Jay Chow. yeah i guess that's the the result of like the scarcity of representation is we have to like we have to make our own headcanon where, yeah, Captain, I don't know, Fabio is definitely <laughs> Jay Chow. Yeah. I've definitely seen some more. I've not gotten to read them yet, but there have been some recent historical dramas. There's one or historical like books. I don't know if they would fall directly into the can- like the what we would classify as like romance novel, which <laughs> I think it is a distinct thing. Um, but there's, you know, a recent um book about like the Titanic. That centers like a Chinese um, oh, by Stacy Lee, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, like these siblings traveling on the Titanic, who I believe are like biracial Chinese and like trying to like lay low. Um, and as as well, I think um, correct me if I'm wrong. The author Christine Milani or Mil- Milan, she has recently written some period romance novels featuring Asian characters. I just oh, not I think you mean uh, Courtney Milan, right? Courtney Milan, <laughs> yes, Courtney Milan. Yes. So like. Uh, when we were when I was choosing the book for um for June, I was thinking like, okay, well, maybe happy endings or a Courtney Milan book. I know she came out with The Duke Who Didn't, and you have um Asian love interests in Regency England. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But um I want to see if we can read another contemporary piece because, you know, we're living in modern day society and <laughs> just the premise of a Vietnamese American sex toy seller sounded really interesting that i you know i was just like we're gonna we're gonna go with this one yeah i mean yeah you know sex toy seller profession notwithstanding i mean the general plot the plot portions of this we read this book for the plot right um of the story (laughs) it could be a hallmark movie if you take out all like the sexy bits right because it's about like two professionals working in, I guess, kind of complementary, but not really um, professions that like find each other um, and also rekindle their their past romance. And I, I, I want to say it's a pretty standard 
um, rom-com plot, right? Absolutely. Um, I have to say that I actually watch quite a few Hallmark movies because they I don't have to pay attention to them when I'm working. Um, <laughs> they are a background noise. Um, and they are incredibly predictable. And literally, this plot was exactly like a lot of them. They do really like the um, rekindling lovers sort of plot because I think it gives you a shorthand for creating chemistry um, and some and getting to know each other instead of believing that they fell in love within two days, sort of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that happens a lot. And the oh, I was young and I did something dumb. But, you know, we didn't talk about it. And then that's why we couldn't get things together. Um, and, you know, just everything kind of fell exactly. I mean, we all know kind of like the 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 path of a romance. Like, you know, they have to um, get to the point where they're together again. They feel like it's going well. And then they have to have the little breakup right before they get back together at the very end. Right. And so that's always something that I hate watching on the Hallmark channel because the, <laughs> cause it's so really dumb. Like, oh, I walked in while you were hugging your sister, but I thought it was a girlfriend or something like <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah. And this book even so. has the um, took the overnight flight over to confess in front yes. of an audience. Right. You have to have a make a, a grand gesture. Grand gestures, yeah. yes. You need a grand gesture. Um, I I think I totally agree with you, Han, about the like kind of the formula. And I I even like went through and I was just like counting like at what point like when do we get our first kiss? What like our first physical contact? When do they fuck the first time? Um, and I think it's really funny because literally that the first big sex scene is like right in the middle of the book. It's chapter like fifteen yeah, of was, like thirty six. <laughs> yeah, I was telling my girlfriend like. Like I've been reading this book for like a few hours now, and they haven't had sex yet. Is is this book broken? Like, I mean, you are top. You are missing out on the self sex, the self love <laughs> part of it because we do get a very big masturbation scene. Um, that that is unlike something that I've seen in a lot of these other books. Yes, yeah, snaps to that. I I did very much respect that and how positive overall how po sex positive this book was we love to see it uh disclaimer i went to berkeley and like drank the fucking kool-aid and like we can talk more about like sex shops and all that you know <laughs> sex toys and uh, berkeley has a fairly well-known one called good vibrations um uh, it's a san francisco store that's like one of the pioneers of like destigmatizing like sex toys and and products and just making it like comforting and like open to a general consumer rather than some shady thing you buy in like the back of a porn shop or something like that um but yeah i i do i did feel a sense of like this taking a long time to get to the fucking and i usually don't notice because they do really good foreplay up until like build they build tension up until the uh, you know the the point where they finally do have like some kind of physical romantic relationship um i feel like the first cha few chapters of this book are very exposition heavy and it's a lot of telling and just like we're supposed to know that they have a past relationship we're supposed to know they're both sexy and like they they like each you know that they're there's this like fire deep fire connection with them but we don't really get that until right before they actually have sex during the, you know, the big pop up 
party scene where he has to like kind of save her from like a drunk woman. Um, so I was like, I was kind of wishing there was a little bit more throughout that we were getting a little more backstory about their initial relationship and so we could understand why they're so drawn to each other. I, I And, you know, more that rather than like the background story repetitively said of, of certain things. She do, I, I did find that she repeated certain facts of their histories many, many times throughout the multiple chapters. Of no sex. Of no sex. <laughs> yeah, they're reminding me not that they had sex. It's reminding me that they're like, his mom died of cancer. And that's kind of a boner killer. Like, that's very valid for the character. Totally get the character's backstory. But, you know, I'm trying to get horny. And you're like, yeah, his mom died of cancer. Well, speaking of backstory, uh, so Tian Kim Lam, the author, uh, she actually runs body bookworms body as in b-a-w-d-y and it's a subscription service where it, which pairs erotica books with sex toys and i was like i remember when i was reading this i was like there, there's a lot of descriptions about sex toys obviously it's about a sex toy seller and i'm like these are very descriptive the usages are very descriptive i wonder like how much weird research uh tian kim had to go through and it just turns out that that is her like hustle and i was like oh respect respect yeah <laughs> i was like she's living the dream you know it hurts to see people living your life your the, your dream life <laughs> yeah i i got a very clear uh impression of what the uh various sex toys look like including the whimsy which i had not seen before so uh, I, I'm not going to go necessarily into it, but like it's interesting because it's very flexible and 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 uh, you can ha um, have many uses for it. So <laughs> I was just like, OK, I, you know, clearly I only know the basics. <laughs> uh, <coughs> and yeah, I, I'm sure like the industry has gotten way further than, you know, I had ever seen the last time which was a too, way too long that I was like in the pleasure trust um which is LA's uh <laughs> probably best known sex toy shop um but yeah uh so back background for um Trixie I I do have to say it was interesting I'm always interested when I get to see a Vietnamese character um because I want to see how much Vietnamese they put in there um, the language, but also the other stuff in there, just uh, and then also to see how it compares to my family, because all, not all families are alike. But there were definitely moments where I was like, "That can't be real." Um, so uh, all the food I recognized, which was great. Um, I'm also taking Duolingo, so uh, <laughs> I'm I'm better at reading it, <laughs> and um, and I like the food descriptions. the The parents seemed incredibly open minded, and that's yeah. <laughs> I legitimate question, Han, as a, as our resident expert Vietnamese person. Um, how many sex toys would you have to sell for your parents to be okay with? You have to be the Jeff Bezos of like dildos, right? Before yeah. your parents are like, yeah, we own up to that. It doesn't matter if you own your own shop. This to be like, no, we don't know that bitch. No, they would say something else. They would have a euphemism. She's um, an accountant. No, she's, she's yeah, she's on online sales, like internet. You don't know what it is. It's fine. It, she makes money. Um, I, I think there's that. Also, there was a point when I think the mother said, you know, why are you doing this business? You don't need that if you love each other. And I was like, love. 
like that's never been mentioned in my family. <laughs> we we don't. I I don't know her. What what is love? I don't know her. Like parents don't love each other. They're just parents. Like that was nothing. We didn't see any of that in my family. I think other families definitely. Like I think my my uh my cousin has parents who are a bit more affectionate in person. Um, there's that. I do have to say, you know, good for Trixie not to have racist parents. Um. Not not the case in my family. Uh, my cousin in particular uh, has dated quite a few um, black men and uh, her her mom doesn't know anything about that because they have literally said that they would disown her. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering because they alluded to the father having a talk with um, Andre before he decided to like ghost Trixie. And that's the thing we didn't mention is the reason they're former lovers is because uh, Andre just peaced out leaving a post-it note one day and left her to like deal with her parents after telling them that she wanted to not be a pharmacist, uh, which is a dick move. Um, But yeah, like they mentioned, he mentioned several times that, Oh, her father had a talk with him and I was like, Ooh, is this what I think it is? But I guess the book didn't go there. Although I kind of wish it did. I will also say uh, just like for background, because I think it's really important when a book is like, quote-unquote own voices uh tian kim um is also in an interracial relationship with uh a black man she has um she has a blog which is very famous uh i'm not the nanny and (laughs) she writes a lot of like uh family blogs about like how to raise uh biracial children and like her struggles as like an asian american mom who's trying to teach her culture to uh her children and like make them feel proud even though they don't look um as vietnamese as other vietnamese kids and um yeah just i thought it would go there too into like the the racial clashes between like asian and black interracial couples but it didn't go there and i'm not sure how i feel about that because it's like it wouldn't i feel like it wouldn't be light it wouldn't have like that promise of of like fluffy sexy time if if it yeah. didn't I, I yeah. honestly I think it would have given it a little more um depth to the characters. Um because since it was missing I felt almost like I didn't know them. Um my my brother actually is married to a black woman so my nephew is also biracial and I've always like wondered if he understood that at some point he would have to give the top to my nephew um and he he's definitely been my my brother has definitely been like less aware of uh some of the tensions in america until the last year or so (laughs) um which is only the first time when i heard him actually say anything about like you know supporting black lives matter um so yeah i think he 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 kind of like lived in his own bubble for a while, even though, you know, of who he was married to and um, his own child. So, yeah, I think I it would have been good, even if it was a happy, you know, sort of like way that they resolved it to have mentioned if there were any sort of tensions, if the parents had to, you know, get over it or anything like that. Or even if the parents were fine, but maybe like there was an aunt or someone if they didn't she didn't want to like vilify her, you know, the parents in the book. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I do feel like that that aspect was missing from the conflict. Um, I also feel like the grudge between her father and herself over her choice of career 
wrapped up a little bit too cleanly. We okay, always- I, I have a question about this. All right. So when I was reading this and I was just I was summarizing it to Dan as I was reading this and I was like, oh, like Trixie is scared to tell her parents that she wants to become a therapist. I thought like being a therapist is considered like an actual occupation to Asian households. They might not believe in therapy, but it could be like white people will pay for that shit. So yeah, I think it depends. It's like, are you going to get the doctorate to be a therapist? I feel like that is more acceptable. But if you're just going to do the, because not all, you know, therapists is a, it's it's a licensed profession, but it's not a doctorate like professions on like psychiatrists or psychologists. So maybe that's I'm just like, girl, you just be like a psychiatrist, a psychologist. But I guess that includes that. Re- re- yeah. That means you have to go to med school, which if, she sucks at. If the parents can't tell their friends that their daughter is a doctor, then why even have a daughter? Right. But it's also <laughs> like, did you have two? They have. Okay, they had three kids. She's one of three kids. She's the youngest. And the other two siblings, like, are oh, did do like the traditional proud parents job. That's so true. That should give the youngest. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. full as, license, do whatever the hell she wants. As the youngest child who has a sister who got her MBA, um, I'm a fucking theater major. Like, my parents <laughs> did not care. Okay. There should have been a little more chill, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, they probably didn't foresee that she would start selling sex toys. Um, that would definitely like be that's more scandy than <laughs> yeah. like being like a traveling salesman, like doing that, <laughs> not even like the marketing for like a site that sells, but actually being the one selling the sex to- sex toys is like more scandy than like dropping out of farm school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. Now here's another question I have, and I mean, this might be a generational thing. Do those like Tupperware parties with sex toys really happen still? Uh, I don't know if I've ever attended one, but I've also never wanted to attend one because it sounded horrible. Like, yeah, isn't like <laughs> don't normal people just buy their vibrators off Amazon? Like, yeah, or, or delivery. If, or if you go to a store, you don't go with a bunch of girls. Like I don't know. Like here's the thing: I don't love the in general the um, bachelorette party vibe, and so that's just maybe me. And by vibe, I mean like the atmosphere, not the vib- vibrator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Han. Buzzing. <laughs> but um, so maybe that's why I don't like the idea of going to any of those type of Tupperware parties, including ones that include sex toys, because it's a lot of drunk women. You know, it literally re- is like drunk women talking about a product. And I hate being sold to. I hate selling things. I was like, good for you, Trixie, because selling is like probably one of my most hated jobs ever. Um, so yeah, I, I, some people do them though. Like I've been invited to so many of these things and I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it happens because MLMs exist and that's all they do, but. You know, essential oils is like the news <laughs> thing for, but, but like, for those. You, you know, you can post that TV. on like a Facebook group. I don't know if you're going to be like, Hey, selling, um, you know, silicon dildos and vibrators um clip massagers get yours from me today maybe a harder sell yeah i i also was just like when i was reading it it was interesting hearing and reading the descriptions of each toy and whatever but i wasn't like getting excited like the women were so i was like am i supposed to get like turned on or excited by the possible idea of using this toy in this situation also, I'm just not a toy person, so maybe that's it. Um, uh, I, it's interesting that she at one point said, 
um, the the whatever biggest sex organ is your brain, um, which sure, but also your skin. But um, but they didn't they didn't appeal to the brain enough, I feel. And that's why, like, for like when it came to like not enough foreplay in the book for me, it it wasn't like the little foreplay I wanted. I just wanted them to like, you know, flirt and talk and whatever more. So you wanted to yeah. simmer more, right? You wanted to yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I had one more thing to say about the the daughter father um, relationship, and that is at the end when they made up. And I, you know, we've seen this story before. It's kind of become a trope of Asian American media, which is. Oh, they've loved you all along. They've been proud of you all along. They just don't know how to express it, which I get because that is usually how it works. But in this instance, I just had a hard time figuring, like, usually if a parent's giving the child a silent treatment, it usually at last, maybe like a day or two before, it's as if nothing happened, right? At least in my family. Yes. Like a two-year-long silent treatment, that is something that's way more, like, deep and harder to get over. So um, I had a hard time buying that he would, like, get over it right away unless the higher tech had something to do with it maybe maybe that gave him some perspective but i didn't get the sense of that from from what i read yeah i mean i totally hear you our our family is just like get angry but then don't say anything and then it goes away um and then uh but we do in my family hold very deep and long grudges that (laughs) like i mean i once had like i was the recipient of some sort of intervention where my brother brought up stuff from like 10 years ago <laughs> that I did. And so I was just like, dude. Uh, so yeah, I think that's totally real. And, and just good point that if you can hold, I don't even want to call it a grudge, but you can, you can hold something against someone for that long. You don't just get over it. So maybe it was the heart attack, but they didn't really say that. Right. Um, it, it did seem like all of a sudden he's like, look, I've been proud of you all along. I've been loving you all along. I was like, that's not real either. <laughs> or maybe it's just me. Yeah, being that, that, I still don't think, you know, even even if they would accept her and have like, you know, forgiven her. I'm using that in quotation marks because there's really nothing to forgive. But of course, in their eyes, they have forgiven her for dropping out of pharmacy school um, and, you know, pursuing this other career. Like you would not have that explicit in the rain, like, like discussion, like that explicit of like resolve, right? I'm um, like, you don't even get that when like your parents are like on their deathbed. I think <laughs> it's just you, you as an adult, like the like, like adult child of like immigrant parents. Sometimes you're just like, I know it, I just know it, and I, I don't need the 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 validation from them anymore. I know it, and I'm gonna move forward. <laughs> Um, this is the best that we can do, the, right? This is the maybe, best I can expect. Maybe, from our but maybe this is the true fantasy part of this book, <laughs> not the romance. Oh no! But the the true the, fantasy part of this book is the fact that a um, self made tech bro will go back to his community to bail it out and okay, buy a building. Okay, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is like the most. Okay, here's the thing about contemporary romance books. Um, I am not the biggest fan of contemporary romance because it's really hard to get it because I live in contemporary times. So if there's something that doesn't match my lived experience or perception, (laughs) sometimes it's very hard to get over that. And so that's why I typically read, you know, um, period. Uh, I'm a big Victorian Regency fan. I also just I'm like a history nerd and Victorian 
culture has a lot of you know british in british victorian culture has a lot of like built in like taboos so like when you break them it's super sexy (laughs) um but yeah contemporary fiction i feel like if you're going contemporary romance fiction because like i am basically trixie's age you know um we've all had exes um (laughs) we've all had sex maybe marvin no just kidding um and so like if it's something doesn't ring true it takes you out of the world and takes you out of the world building and the fantasy and I got some of that with the language she used in the sex scenes, um, both the dialogue and how she describes some of the body parts. There's a spectrum. There's like my delicate flower to the penis. Right. <laughs> and I think all romance authors have to choose like where in that spectrum they want to land. But it's. I totally lost my point. What was the first point I started? Uh, con- <laughs> uh, contemporary romance. Yeah, so con- that's why. So contemporary romance, I think, is incredibly, is, is a little more difficult to hit 100% of the time because we live in it. And if it's something that's not in your lived experience, then like why, like, I don't think you believe it. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I, I There are definitely contemporary romance authors I very much like, but I think it's, um, kind of like with period romance. Well, period romance authors end up usually writing like 20 billion books. But I, I think when it comes to the period romance authors I know you like, Jess, I do have to say that that person is in particular very good at what she does. Um, and I do feel like when it comes to contemporary authors, it is a, it is harder to write because we're so familiar also with those tropes when we watch them on rom-coms. And so for them to make things feel fresh, but also specific and authentic, um, it takes work. So, yeah, it's a hard gig. Like, of course, this is something I've been wanting to write myself. And then I I just read this and I'm like, even though I'm being critical, would I do better? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. It might end up being sounding like robotic or by the numbers, you know. Uh, Speaking of like, you know, lived in experience and um, contemporary times, I want to like the... The most refreshing thing about this book was the fact that it was so sex positive, that you do have an Asian American woman who is, you know, all about vibrators and going to clinics and giving out sex ed talks like that is at least for me, I did not get the talk at all in my house. There was like no mention of sex. Um like my mom never took me bra shopping i had to like do that by myself it was mortifying and i did it because i was bullied and it was just like it was it was a whole mess and um i have my youngest brother is 17 years younger than me so um and my mom was pregnant before that too so both times I had to go get a pregnancy test for her. So I bought I bought a pregnancy test at like CVS and I would like bring it home. Um, I went to all of her like doctor's appointments with her. So it's just like, yeah, my my sex ed like came at like very weird moments where the parent is supposed to be teaching you, but you just end up like learning everything by yourselves. And I don't know if that's like the same experience that you guys had. I want to hear Jess's, but then I can tell oh, you mine. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, so my my version of the sex talk was when I was eighteen years old, which is in any of 
typical, I think, teenage household, uh, you know, teenage experience is too late to be having the sex talk. Oh, yeah. That's Not for me. It's way too late. <laughs> Not for me, though. So she got me like before, like I was wild in. Um, but her version of the sex talk was as I was driving in a moving car to go to like brunch or dim sum. She's like, you know, you should just try to wait until you're an adult. <laughs> Very vague. Like, what is an adult? Does that mean, like, when I have my own money? Does that mean when I'm out of the house? Does that mean 18 years old? Like, I don't understand. She just says, just wait till you're an adult. And I was like, what? She's like, no, that's it. Like, that was all I got. Um, But thank God that since I was basically 13, I was doing a lot of research on my own. Um, I think partially just very curious and, like, went down rabbit holes and I was very lucky. I found some really great guides about like, you know, like periods and like, like, like sex. And like, um, I think I just was very fortunate to land on the right side of the internet through my God. It wasn't even Google. It was like, what was the Neo? Not, not Neo. Neopets. That's a very different. <laughs> that's very different. Not, no intersection of sex and Neopets. I hope. I think it was Neo seeker, um, right? or like or like something with a compass it was like a it was like a browser like that's how old i was and i was just like you know when you're un when you're no parental vision on the internet and you start you know google you start like searching for like naughty things but then i somehow ended in the informational section about like periods and what's normal and not normal and like all this stuff so i was like very theoretically like knowledgeable Absolutely no experience. Um, no, not a not a hot ticket in the high school years, if you can believe. My mother used to say that I had a castrating aura, uh, which she told a teenage me that like, yeah, I don't have to worry about you. You have like a really like castrating aura, like in Chinese. Though I'm like, thank you. (laughs) I mean, it served me really well because in hindsight, high school boys are trash. Mm -hmm. Marvin, you were probably a fucking piece of trash. Um, and like, you know, I would, you know, any sane person would not let a high school boy, you know, ruin those experiences for them. But you're not sane at 15, 16, 17, like when you're a hormonal, hormonal monster. So I think I did actually turn up to a lot of books and like for that romance, um, not even sex, just for like the romance and, you know, the desire industry and like, um, all that so you know thank you thank you romance books for saving me a lot of like real life heartache and experience i just like lived through it during the books and you know all my real relationships have been like fairly healthy so thanks berkeley (laughs) so thank you for landing on the right side of the internet it was like neopets and like blogs written for young women about period health um so for me it was a sort of a mixed thing um I remember very, very young, my mom drawing pictures of fallopian tubes oh. and sperm. But that was as far as it got. We never got to the actual external organs. So I was just like, what is this? This is like boring. And then, and so that kind of stayed in theory. And then my dad was the horn dog. So um, <laughs> we had a bookshelf in the bathroom where we all kept our stuff to read, you know, because you read in the bathroom. And so while my mom read things that we left there, like Charlotte's Web, um, my brothers and I were reading Playboys. 
And then my dad also was like a huge book reader, too. So there were a lot of like raunchy books. Um, I read Erica Jong pretty young. Um, so I started off with with sex books and and didn't get to romance until I was like in my 20s, probably. So, uh, yeah, I I I was just like, oh, this is very interesting. But it was also that meant that the plots were very adult not even sexual, like, yes, the sex was adult, but, like, the plots were, like, horrible because people were being awful to each other. They weren't, like, nice romances. They were, like, backstabbing and cheating and all this other stuff. Oh, speaking of sex and books, can I tell the, like, water for chocolate story? (laughs) (laughs) So, for those of you who do not know, like, water for chocolate is, like, a piece of literary work. It's, like, not smut. It's a beautifully written novel um, you know, about a Mexican family and there's a lot of like magical realism and a lot of sex. So this was a book that was available in my public library. And me as an eight year old used to walk there with her grandma who did not speak a lick of English. And I had read through all the kids books and they were boring. So I was like, I'm going to look for a bigger book. And I saw this book that was like, oh, I like chocolate. So I check this book out. I read it through. I don't realize until maybe three quarters of the way in that they're even talking about sex because it's so there's so much allegory in it. Like, you know, she basically the main character can cook so well that and she's translating her feelings through her food. And I'm just like and then like literally like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh, She's not talking just about hot water. <laughs> That's an allegory. <laughs> oh, oh. And I literally went back to the first page, reread it, and I was like, yeah, she likes this. <laughs> and, and no one knew because I was just a very well read child. Yeah. So long you learn yeah. by reading. Yeah. We, yes. We were all self taught learning by reading. So great. Yay, Not books. parents, books. So, books, you know, yes. maybe strategically, if you are a parent who does not want to have the sex talk, just put some like yeah. books around the house. What about you, Marvin, as the sole dude on this <laughs> podcast? When did you become trash and are you still trash? <laughs> I, mean, definitely my, I mean, my, definitely my parents never brought it up. They just assumed at some point that I knew about it. Um, I mean, I think I learned about it the same way most people learn about it, which is in sex ed class in like, what was it? Like seventh grade? Seventh grade, was that when we had it? Fifth? Mm-hmm. I think fifth we had it fifth. I think girls have it a lot younger. Because of yeah. the period may come earlier. That's probably. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think we definitely had, like, we had like the biological education at fifth grade. And then in seventh grade, we had the, here is how you use a condom. Um, oh really i don't think we ever got that really you didn't yeah, get the condom I, on the on the banana no no never did this is the state of our public education <laughs> system guys please yeah. teach your kids how to have safe sex and then when did i become i mean i figure i it be, it was about <clears throat> i figure it was around the same time everyone in my peer group did which is when the internet became widely available and then we had unlimited access to porn I'm sure kids nowadays, that's how they're learning. Like, instead of reading books, they find it on the internet. The difference is for us, that didn't happen until, like, maybe almost at the end of middle school, like high school. Like, that's when it, we had the the unfiltered access. Well, the reason why I'm asking is that, like, what I've noticed with my family and a lot of my friends' families, uh, 
like for for like the the girl in Asian families, they try to like shelter them as much as possible about sex. But like for the sons in the family, they get kind of thrown into it early. Um, I mean, with like uh, half of the men in in Korea, according to like a government survey back like what like three years ago, like half of Korean men have had sex with a prostitute at least once in their life, and that is just like. That's tied to, like, a lot of Asian baggage with, like, misogyny and sexism, but that's why I asked, because double standards when it comes to sex ed is is a thing. I mean, with two brothers, I can't, I don't know if my dad had a talk with them, but I felt like my family in general was very uh, repressive. <laughs> about everything so i think the books just being everywhere uh literally i read masters and johnson and there was a book called history of sex and stuff like that so i think they assumed that my brothers would also just pick stuff up um <laughs> as i did my my parents are um so they like lived through the communist revolution <laughs> um in a city in china in mainland china so they're like it seems in- counterintuitive, but they are actually very chill about sex because they lived through the communist revolution. And in China, like it was very sex ed was very like whatever that, you know, they're very big on population control and like, like informing their patients of that. And, and like women did get more rights, like um, if not culturally, at least on paper and, you know, in government and in the party and everything. So like, you know, they both went to school. They both got to go to school. They both went to college in China. And then my mom, I remember when we were talking about birth control at one point, like when I was a teenager, and it was just like for health reasons. But she was so like pissed off at the American healthcare system. She's like, why do they make this so hard? Like in China, they just throw it from the back of a truck if you want it. Like they, they'll hand it out to you. Like they'll give you an abortion for free. Like what is this like, like morality or purity? And I was like, oh, like, all right, all right. And since becoming an adult woman, I love, I, I low-key love just like talking to my mom about it. She hates it. She does not want to engage in these conversations. But I'm like, like, ma'am, ma'am, I'm 30. You are, you know, you've had two kids. Like we're not I have a I have a long term partner. Like we not fooling anyone. Like it's fine. It's fine. And she just like gets so like she gets so like oh how dare you? And then but she will engage afterwards. <laughs> so you don't think that you're going to be talking to her about sex toys anytime soon? Uh, I mean, I think she would like have a freaking aneurysm. There's only so many limits. Um, you know, that's that's a friend conversation. That's a that's a friend's conversation. That's a friend's activity where you guys go out and like, you know, go shopping together. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've gone long enough talking about this romance book without actually talking about the relationship between the two main characters. What were your thoughts on this um second chance romance relationship? Okay, uh fucking Andre. What the <laughs> fuck? I would never forgive this man. And he did bear, did not do anything to earn back her trust or what, forgiveness. Just being sexy isn't enough to earn back her okay, forgiveness. Okay, he's a fuck boy. All <laughs> right. Okay, like, I'm sorry, like number one, like not like like dump like like they were living together. And then he didn't even t- like literally. I don't understand how hard it would have been to be like, "Yo, I gotta go back home. 
my mom has cancer. Look, I just did it. Four sentences. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, and then, but so like already like Andre, like what the fuck? Like you're such an asshole. And then on the other side, I'm like, Trixie, why are you jumping this man's bones? He fucked you over so badly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, I think that was sort of the point where you're making when it comes to these, uh, second chance um romances they they're difficult to do because i think the way it can work is that we can see both characters have changed in some way and the only real thing i could see was that trixie was more confident having done this job um but she but it felt like andre throughout the whole book even almost the all the way to the end was still not talking to anyone and accepting help from anyone until it was too late almost. So I felt like it's not that he had matured um, and uh, and had, I don't know, and had learned from, like, let's say his mother's death and um, figured out, you know, like how to seize the day and things like that. It, he felt like very underdeveloped still. and um, And I couldn't, so I, it's like they described a little bit about when they had first gotten together only a little bit though it was just basically like they were flirting and then they were in bed and so um i didn't really get a lot of their chemistry at all except for just sex like there wasn't enough banter or there wasn't enough something else that made me understand why they liked each other except for them being hot for each other yeah, I totally understand your point. I like I usually don't like this device in in books, but I think this book could have benefited from like flashbacks, you know, like because mm-hmm. I would have really liked to have seen how they got together, like what was the chemistry when they were younger and just you know, like saying like, oh, I've changed. Well, what were you before? I just kind of need more of a frame of reference. And I don't know, like with with Andre, it seemed like what I was getting from him is that he he's a bit of an alpha boy. He likes being in control. Uh, he, you know, it's either his way or the highway. And and I guess like he's softened up with age. He has to make he had to make a lot of compromises. But in general, yeah, I don't think he changed all that much in terms of like learning how to lose control. Uh, aside from, you know, letting Trixie take control in bed, that was like the only part where I, I thought like change in terms of like d- domination, but I don't know. But he still wanted her to do what he wanted, right? No, I mean, she she got to do the things that she wanted. I, I, I think that's a good point that they did show that in the bedroom. And if they then showed the parallel in real life, um, more that would have actually kind of helped me understand a little bit why she was like giving him a second chance besides just wanting to like you know sex him up so <laughs> yeah I mean like you mentioned earlier they repeat a lot of things early on about how hard it was for her when he up and like ghosted her about how she had to pick up the pieces of her life by herself isolated from her family and like cut off and like thrown into this new world that he made her decide on without his support and 
I don't know. To me, that sounds like something you can never like. That sounds like something you would that never is, forgive someone about. That is traumatizing, like PTSD. Like not even joking, PTSD. That is like traumatizing level X behavior stuff. Like I know people who've had maybe not the exact things, but maybe like a similar magnitude, and it literally changed the course of their perspective about love and their life. And that and the and like and if that person who did that harm came back into their life, I don't think they'd be like, no, it's fine. And then be like, OK, let's try, you know, yeah. let's fuck again. You know, it would be like I feel like your body would have like a visceral reaction <laughs> of like, no, this man is dangerous and hurt you. You cannot open up to him. Um, yeah, I needed more than him explaining himself for her to like forgive him. Okay, and also, do we forget that, okay, what was this relationship? Because we get a sense that in the two years, two years that they were dating in New Orleans, he never told her about his family, what he did in D.C., like anything about his past. I'm like, what did you do for two years? Like, um, I think we've all been in a serious relationship at some point in our lives. I feel like the family stuff comes up pretty early. You just want to know, like what they do and you know you got a sister you got brother siblings are first date info so i'm also just and we never we never get to see that like i was like okay i guess for two years did you just like non-stop fuck each other apparently which i guess is fine that's hot but also like but then if you're asking us to invest in the relationship part of why they should be together why they have to end up together i i think it's a little tough i understand her friend Raina, her anger against him so much more, but then she let it drop pretty quickly too. So <laughs> I was just like, "See, that's a sane person right there. She's <laughs> telling you the truth, but you're not listening to her." Uh, yeah, no, I I wouldn't have forgiven him. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, like aside from like the post-it breakup, which is like who who <laughs> does that? I mean, in the age of cell phones and like webcams. Yeah, it's like the author created, crafted this like the most heinous way to break up with someone, like the most traumatic way to leave someone in the dust. And then is the message here, as long as you're hot enough, all is forgiven. I guess I mean I'm maybe I'm thinking too much for this romance novel, but <laughs> it's no. like these are the thoughts that came to me when like reading like especially uh, since it doesn't seem like he he softens a little bit, but he doesn't really fundamentally change. See, that's the th- that's the thing though. Like aside from like the posted breakup, like if he had changed like dramatically, if he had like freaking groveled and like shown <laughs> that he was like a very different person who respected like women's choices, it I would have been it would have been more believable to me as a reader. But just like the way he treated women who weren't like Trixie in his life it was just very telling like he like with his sister his sister is the co-owner of his restaurant but he's like not telling her anything about the restaurant's troubles and it's kind of like well is it because you're the man of the house that you think that you have to do everything by yourself and because your younger sister is younger and uh, she's like a woman like she's not equipped to handle this same thing with like the elderly uh women in his neighborhood it's like it's like oh i don't want to hear about like them being into sex like how dare you set up like a sex toy pop-up in my mom's restaurant you're like desecrating her memory where it's like women have sex women (laughs) 
buy sex toys. Like, it's kind of normal. Yeah, yeah. And then the interactions with Andre and his best friend were pretty gross. I mean, they just fairly blatantly objectify women in every scene they're in together. And then you're like, are we supposed to be rooting for this? And just, like, Um, the ending with... um, because, like, towards the end of the, the second act, you find out that uh, Trixie, she wants to, like, have a boutique and there's an opportunity for her. There's this co-op in a gentrified part of town. And Andre pretty much says, hey, it's either my restaurant or this co-op. It's either the enemy or me. And it's like, what? Which is like, exactly what his dad did to his mom that he was so pissed off about. <laughs> I mean, and also he is also doing to his sister what Trixie's parents were doing to her too, right? Like, there's a lot of just, I mean, the Tin Kim seems to be trying to portray him as someone who is so um, saddled with guilt of leaving his mother that he's overcompensating. But at the same time, this is there's just too much of this like alpha male behavior for it to be like anything but like his fundamental character, right? Yeah, like. The post-it's bad enough. And by the way, there was a post-it breakup in one of the Sex, Sex in the City, in the city. <laughs> episodes. Very but, famous. Yes. yes. But, oh, okay. but I do have to say, he just Andre kept... has never watched Sex in the City. He did not get inspired for that <laughs> well, show. But, but besides that, I was just like, uh, yeah, right. He didn't grovel. He didn't do anything. But he just kept pissing me off. And that was the thing that really made me root against him. <laughs> So it was a very weird dynamic where I'm just reading this. And I'm like, don't be with him. Like, just just get rid of him. He's no good. I, I, again, so again, I think this is another uh, like difficulty with contemporary fiction, because when we are set in like the cultural norms of another time, another culture, it's like, oh, we know those rules are stupid, like from our point of view. But you understand why the characters are operating these rules. And when they get caught up in kind of the miscommunication, you're like, Okay, it makes sense. The stakes make sense a little bit more. I think when we bring it into like a modern day when it's a woman female character that like is fairly close to us, it's also like, you know, if we put ourselves into her shoes and we're trying to envision how we would react in some of these situations, you're like, this is not a healthy relationship. This is not a, <laughs> like 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 this, like you guys aren't communicating well enough you shouldn't really be having all these problems like these problems are all solvable if you were just like slightly better you know more mature people can you please be slightly more mature people <laughs> but that's not good drama like that's not good romance drama yeah i think when it comes to the contemporary romances as far as the things that keep people apart i am very fine with people having like flaws that are hurting themselves but when they actually turn around and hurt others is when I like draw the line. And so that's why I think for me, I just could not forgive this guy um, <laughs> because it's not like he was he. Yeah. Yes, he had issues, but he kept like lashing out at other people. And so that for me was just like, nope, unforgivable. Yeah. I mean, I was totally rooting for Trixie. I could care less about if Andre got what he wanted. And like a, a good ending for this book w- could have been just Trixie saying, you know, fuck this. I'm I'm doing my own thing. Get with Mike. <laughs> yeah, get with <laughs> the, Mike the, the Chen, rich you know? silica, uh, 
That's also so unbelievable. <laughs> when he came on the scene, I was like, wait, who is he? And then they didn't like really... I said, <laughs> a fantasy world where rich tech bros come back and revitalize their communities. And in their communities. <laughs> well, not, I, I was fully expecting, and it didn't happen, like there to be some flirtation between him and Keisha. Um, but maybe that would be the second book. But yeah, I was just like, this is what you do is you have to lay the groundwork for the next one and create that universe. <laughs> I did enjoy the DC um, representation. Um, oh, that's right, because you went to school years, in DC. Yeah. Um, I've been to Eden Center, which is like where the the best Vietnamese food is. I've, I'm pretty sure this book is set in Columbia Heights because that is where the gentrification is happening at the most, at least when I was there, was, was the most intense. Um, District Market is such a DC yuppie name to give a brand new development. <laughs> and yeah, I mean... It was missing like things like getting delayed by the metro because it's on fire um, aspect of living in D.C. <laughs> but it was cool to kind of see like, you know, the different landmarks being being portrayed. <laughs> I'm glad you actually brought up all that D.C. stuff because I've only been to D.C. twice. And but I always found it interesting because like I remember as a kid, I was always curious about the places that Vietnamese people ended up. Um, so clearly, you know, I grew up in Houston and I definitely knew uh, like Houston, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You know, has that sort of like Viet Cajun. I don't. It's not a rivalry, but we have that sort of Viet Cajun thing going on in the South. And then um, I know they ended up in D.C. and then like Minnesota for some reason. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's always because of hosting families, like and there's yeah, church, church groups, resettlement. Yeah, church groups that hosted thing, yeah. families and stuff like that. And um, and then of course, uh, uh, O.C. So, um, yeah, D.C. was one of those places where it's like whenever I was there, I was like, wait, there's my people here somewhere. Uh, but and so I was it was kind of fun to see that aspect of it um, in in the book. Um, yeah. And especially if you have a friend whose family runs a restaurant, that is the only place you eat. Like if you eat anywhere else, <laughs> you are a traitor to your friends. And Betrayal. Your family. Yeah. I'm glad that we did get another Vietnamese American woman character in this book. Um, I really like the fact that like Zoe, uh, she has a very unconventional uh, career path as a Vietnamese American woman. She runs like a plus size lingerie shop. Her parents own a fall restaurant and they're just like, you do you. And that was nice because you have Mm -hmm. Trixie's parents who are very much not supportive about her career. Yeah. I mean, I really did appreciate how, you know, the, you know, her very deliberate attempts to make this world inclusive, right? Her, uh, the term boss babes is outdated, though. So I'm very, <laughs> I feel bad because I was like, oh, that's, I'm sure, you know, between the writing and editing and publishing, like that's when that, you know, term basically ha- has now come up, has now a very like, negative connotation like to boss. it yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just basically you know the the phrase on tiktok is like girl boss gatekeep gaslight um so that some of it was like a little outdated um but you know we're, i did like the themes of you know they're talking about gentrification they're talking about uh you know immigrant parents um all these really cool interesting themes that you know we don't get in period fiction um i was surprised though that for someone and you know for a book that is this sex positive and focused around a woman who wants to be a purveyor of sex toys it's fairly heteronormative um throughout the entire book not just the relationship but even the her parties and the toys and the 
the vibe. I don't know how to say this. Just vibes. The vibes were very heteronormative, and every great female le- like center female, um, you know, you know, like non traditional sex toy boutique I've been to has been very inclusive. Like they make a very distinct effort to be like we are queer friendly, and like if you know everyone you know everyone is welcome so i felt that there's a little disconnect there 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 were two i think instances of but it's very slight like you said i think it's definitely a book that's very hetero but i think there were two women in the in one of the parties who ended up who were together and then i think one of her friends had a vibe with one of uh, the uh realtor with lady. the real estate yeah, yeah. So, but nothing happened. So, it but was this just, is a book where we're yeah. literally getting qu- like sentences like he shoved her face into her <laughs> pussy, <laughs> and then we're only getting like queer baby vibes. Like, yeah, well, I think it, it was kind of like side characters didn't really get a lot, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, I liked Zoe. Uh, I think Zoe got most of the <laughs> the attention when it came to secondary characters and backstories. Yeah. yeah, which makes sense. A lot of sense in terms of like showing the dimensionality, right? And like a comparison. Yeah, I think we went over most of what we want to talk about. Reaver, do you have anything else on 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 the list? Um, we could talk about. It felt like, and I don't know if if this was actually what it was, but it felt like the sex scenes in this book were very very long. Like I think one of them was literally <laughs> three chapters long. Was it too long for you, Marvin? I'm sorry. <laughs> I do have a question for the panel. So on that spectrum of like her delicate flower to, you know, a erect rigid penis, where do you fall in your preference of language to describe genitalia in romance novels? I'm not really for the flowery type of allegory in in books. I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to like, if you're going to say vagina, just say vagina. Don't say, like, secret garden or whatever. That's just, like, not... <laughs> I don't know vagina's sexy, though, right? It's just like, oh, yes, he tut- he entered the vagina. That's, like, very clinical. I don't mind the flowery language. Um, either way, it's, you know, it's as a newbie to this type of fiction, however you describe it, it still makes me a little... <laughs> like uncomfortable <laughs> sometimes um I, I mentioned this before on the podcast when i was reading the kiss quotient i was reading it quote-unquote via audiobook mm. in my car so it was oh were there passengers no there wasn't but there was uh, once i had to like literally pause it so i could get my order from starbucks the starbucks <laughs> drive-thru I, I, yeah, this this book is not friendly in terms of uh listening to it in your car because yeah, it's a lot of sex. I I walk when I um when I listen to audiobooks and I do have to say it is a different more visceral experience when a voice is in your ear um describing sex scenes and doing the voices <laughs> back and forth. Usually it's the same person doing both voices. Um so I uh, I do have to say I probably prefer reading it at that point when it comes to more vivid sex scenes. Because also, if I'm walking around, there's people around me, and that's kind of weird. It was like when I read, <laughs> everyone has their story about when they read Kiss Cushion. So I was on a plane when I read it, and I was just like, holy crap. You know, it's like, I need to get off of this plane. <laughs> because I was like, this is way hornier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I did not expect Kiss Cushion to be that horny. Because um, the cover is very, 
innocuous um, and very cute, right? Like, it's very cute because it's That's the trend now. All romance novels are, like, more illustrated covers. That's my preference, yes. too, because when back in the day when they had, like, the bodice ripper, like, people... All the bodice ripper. <laughs> yeah. I I actually got a, uh, a fabric book cover so I could read those in public without, <laughs> without people, like, annoying me. I love the illustrated book covers and bless Berkeley because they are still very, very, very horny, but they have very cute covers. <laughs> I give two shits about reading that in public. I will happily do so. Um, my <laughs> my thing is I have a terrible habit, like Yuhan, of basically picking up a book for vacation travel <laughs> or as I'm about to get on the plane. And there are a few things more uncomfortable than reading a super well-written horny book in the middle of a three-week family vacation <laughs> to a different country. Let me tell you, that's not fun. And you're just like, you're like, just clench, 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 clench. All right, just breathe through it. <sighs> yeah. Crowded planes, trains, cars. This is what, uh, yeah. yeah. This is why you need the secondary uh, genre, so you can use those for vacation. Maybe historical stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I yeah, my two genres I read on vacation are like these smutty mass market romance books and World War Two nonfictions. I switch between the two when I need to cool <laughs> yeah. down and when I need to heat up. Wow, what a, um, those are those are some wild swings there. Uh, the twist. Um, I'm not reading the World War II nonfictions to cool down. Ooh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, well, well, I didn't actually answer the flowery language question, which I fall kind of in between, where I don't need exaggerated metaphors to tell me what something is, so that I'm in, I'm noticing the language, um, and I think that also means that. Like, if you're going to use the word fucking cock and whatever, that's fine as long as it kind of fits the situation. But yeah. when you are talking about vulva, that is getting a bit clinical. <laughs> so it really depends on the situation and also the action that is being described. Because uh, some situations are better than others. I did learn a lot about massage oils and like, especially like the kinky kind. I feel like oh, the heat oh, stuff, that, that's scary, man. Like, you can burn some shit with that. I have, I've had some, I've had some not so good experiences with some of that. Don't, I'm, I'm scarred. I'm, I'm scarred, like, psychologically. I'm a bit sensitive. Sorry, that doesn't sound fun. But again, to each their own. Like, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I don't want things tingling. It, it sounds painful. <laughs> um, what is it? Like, for... The subscription box service that I was talking about earlier that Tian Kim runs, uh, there, there's a set for happy endings. And one of the things that comes uh, with the book are the flavored massage oils. Oh, they're real. They're yes, real. Yes, they're real. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mind lube. Lube is also always useful. Um, massage oils, I think it, as long as it didn't actually heat up. That's the thing. Like, I don't want it to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's also an Asian thing that like we don't like sweet things generally and a lot of these like flavored Flavors. products taste like candy or like very uh, sweet and you're just like gross. I don't even like this when it's a non-sexual product <laughs> I don't know if I need this like on someone's dick like it's I'm good I'm good just the water base is fine we're fine here thank you I'm boring sorry 
Yeah. I mean, and also, like, I'm just not a toys person, but I, I have a friend who's very much as a toys person. So she, maybe this would, like, appeal to her more and she'd be like, oh, I have that. Uh, yeah, I don't know how TMI we want to get. We could take this offline, <laughs> but, you know, let's just say it's also a very um, personal preference. And uh, that's the thing. Like, I, some of those, when some of the, the toys, when she's describing them, I'm like, took me out. And I'm like, yeah. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, let's well, just leave it there. That's not true. <laughs> I, here's here's the thing. In in the book, at some point, she does say, like, you know, you have to take the batteries out or else it ruins the uh, machine. And that's basically me. I have several toys and I just ended up not using them. So that's when I was like, I guess I'm not a toys person. But I like I thought that that's what you do. You just get them. Um, but yeah, I know about the battery rule because of my K-pop light. <laughs> Uh, so it's, like, sticks, <laughs> it's like I'm only going to use it for concerts so I have to take out the battery like oh, after the concert oh shit and... should I take the I'll... yeah you should take, take it out battery, and leak out. battery acid in your light sticks. you might have a biohazard in your room right now yeah do that outside you don't want to burn your bed sheets from like taking it out okay to clarify we're just talking about k-pop stand lights <laughs> yeah, yeah. not this is not an allegory this is not a new section of the spectrum where the it's not even flowery allegories it's like k-pop allegories no we're literally talking about k-pop light sticks <laughs> nothing else they do look like vibrators, though. They do. I will say that they some do. of the light sticks look like sex toys. Yeah, I thought at some point there was going to be some sort of crossover. Like, hey, I need an immersion blender, but oh, I only have a vibrator. Han, Han, not an immersion. Okay, okay. I was just like, this could have gone very poorly. Immersion blenders, no, for those of you who don't cooking. know, it's the stick with the open blade that goes wah, 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 and makes soup. And I thought we were going bringing no. that into the bedroom, no. and I got scared. No, got into the scared. kitchen, the vibrator into the kitchen. Well, that doesn't seem sanitary either. <laughs> you that's why you have to have a condom on it. Although Well, this is a very it would eat. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> All right. Like, ooh, I like guess um, <laughs> should we start wrapping up, Rira? <laughs> uh yeah, we should start wrapping up. Um I guess like closing thoughts. Um I had some criticisms about this book, particularly about the romance. Um particularly about Andre. I would never forgive someone who broke up with me in that manner, but per personal preference. Um, I really did like uh, the sex positiveness of uh, Trixie's character. And um, this is only like the second book. I've No, that's not true. But it's, it's very rare to see Asian American uh, protagonists as love interests, especially in sexy novels so it really did break uh some new ground um now i have something else other than the kiss quotient whenever someone asks me for a book with a sexy asian american lead um but yeah that overall i thought i thought it was pretty good um not my cup of tea but it might be for some other readers out there yeah i mean for me this was Literally the second romance book that I've ever read, um, both of them featuring Asian American protagonists, which was nice. I I think I echo everyone else here on this pod, which is love Trixie as a character, loved her confidence and her like drive and her story arc. Could care less about Andre. His sister was cool, I guess. Um, but as like a relationship, I yeah, I, I 
feel like she could do better. And I guess the sex scenes were good, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Echoing a lot of the sentiments y'all said. Um, love the sex positivity. I think that is something we just need more of in romance novels going forward. I love the sexual agency that our female main character has. And that's definitely something you do not get in most period books. So, you know, that is definitely a pro for the contemporary side. Um, and I will say that the, you know, the sex scenes are still fun. Like, even if the sizzle may not be as much as I wanted getting there, once we get there, I'm just like, I'm enjoying this. Um, yeah, they're, it's two hot people fucking. Uh, kind of hard to say no to that or, you know, be mad at that. Um, and I, I, I do love the fact that Trixie is such a, you know, we've been talking so much about how hypersexualization of Asian women in like media and content. I don't think this is it because she is very grounded in that and she has motivation and she has, you know, very, she's very holistically built. And again, at the end of the day, she has agency. So can't, it's hard to be too mad about that. I think I'm still, uh, Helen Huang stuff is probably still my favorite when it comes to Asian American contemporary adult uh, romances. I've been reading a lot of YA Asian <laughs> stuff, and those are great. But uh, when we when we were talking about like adult sexy stuff, um, I definitely lean that way. Uh, but I've actually been reading quite a lot, um, a lot meaning like more than five. Uh, <laughs> uh, contemporary adult Asian American romances. And so I'm kind of, I'm glad, like, even though this wasn't maybe my favorite, there were aspects of it I really enjoyed um, seeing, first of all, an interracial uh, romance with a black man, which is something that like is real, obviously, you know, based on her experience, but um, we just don't see that. And it's particularly because of, you know, Asian American feelings. <laughs> um so I was very happy to see that, even though I did not like Andre. Um, <laughs> very clear, did not like Andre. Um, I'm sure he's hot, though. Uh, so I'm I'm excited. I think it's also interesting that this is the second, like, really sexy thing that, like, you've read uh, for this. And it's another Vietnamese woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, I have a book coming. It's um, on hold, but it's coming soon, which is the uh, A Pho Love Story, which I'm excited to read. And I really, oh, yeah, I really hope there's some good food sex stuff in there. Um, <laughs> because I was like, there wasn't that much here. Um, I don't think a full love story is a, is a horny book, though. It probably isn't a horny. It's <laughs> yeah, probably, it seems more yeah. like love. Yeah. From like, which, y, isn't that YA? It's YA, yeah. Oh, which well, can, good, yeah. YA authors are sneaking, which they, they fade the black a lot, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it's, yes. it's because like the covers are so like, similar in terms of like marketing because mm -hmm. they all are kind of like more illustrated there's a lot of teal yeah. that's being yes. put into romance novels yes i i also like was like i couldn't tell how old these people were because when they're definitely in their 20s it's still kind of ya but like i was like they both have jobs um so i was like i assumed <laughs> it was adult um but yeah i i, I read uh, a sweet mess which i believe is being adapted um so, yes it is yeah, yeah that's that's a that's a fairly horny book um, and I know that there's a, a sequel that I Daniel am Day Kim's going to play the guy in that one. I right? mean, that's perfect. It's literally <laughs> the person I was imagining because it's. I think she she must have been thinking of him because they, she also described his voice. 
And I was like, yeah, it, it, it's got to be him. Forearms, you know, cheekbones, like all of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Daniel Day Kim. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading a lot of South Asian um, romances. Too. Oh, yes. One of my favorite subgenres of the romance novel is South Asian adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, like specifically. Oh, by Sonali Dev. We'll like, watch Pride, read, Prejudice, and other flavors. And, we'll yeah. read all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... Um, there's one set in Pakistan that was like particularly good. I forget the title because there are so many of them. I'm so sorry, but yeah, um, yeah, those are always fun. So, um, yeah, but if you guys are searching for more Asian American romance, uh, I did compile a couple on our bookshop page. So go check that out. Um, I don't, I, I have not read all of them, so I don't know how sexy they are. So please, like, proceed with caution. I'm sorry if you like read it and you're like, whoa, this is way too sexy because I have not read it. So I cannot uh, give you proper trigger warnings. (laughs) But we do have um, a lot of book recommendations and uh, other book listings on our bookshop affiliate page. So yeah, go check that out. Well, that'll do it for our discussion of Happy Endings by King Kim Lam. Um, thank you so much to our special guests, Jess and Han uh, from the Good Pop Culture Club for joining us. Um, as our horny book experts, um, we had quite a discussion. I think I'm going to have to put some sort of content warning on this episode <laughs> just to warn them about all the all the mentions of, you know, penises and such. I feel like we could have gotten like more TMI, but mm-hmm. considering that it's the first time all of us are doing like a collaborative <laughs> episode together, it's kind of like how... TMI do we go? Let's save I just want to spare sa- Marvin the detail. <laughs> let's save it for Books and Bubble After Dark, our new our new <laughs> our new our new, our new adults only podcast. <laughs> you joke, but I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. I guess yeah, before we go, we do need to let everyone know what we're reading for the month of July because it is a new month. We are halfway through 2021. Um Rira, what are we reading for the month of July? We are reading An Ocean of Minutes by Thea Lim. It is a speculative novel uh, with time traveling. So it's set in the aftermath of a deadly pandemic. (laughs) And the main character, Polly, she signs a contract to go time travel five years into the future to do labor, indentured labor, in order to get life-saving medication for her boyfriend. But she accidentally gets time traveled way further than she was supposed to. And now she is stranded in an America that is very unfamiliar with no status or money. And she is still trying to find her boyfriend in the future. So that is what we're going to be reading. It is very different from Happy Endings. <laughs> it is probably not going to be a happy read. So I feel like trigger this warning is there. Vera. Um, making it up to me for making me read a horny book this month. My atonement. <laughs> you should be grateful, Marvin, for the education, no opportunities. Yeah, I mean, now I know a lot more about toy play. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Books and Boba. Uh, check out the podcast that I do with our guests, Han and Jess, Good Pop. That's also part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, you can check out our show by going to the website, goodpop.club. Um, but yeah, until next time, thanks for listening to Books and Boba. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and me, Ryu, and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 